All right. All right. Well, you have a, a bulletin, and in that bulletin is an outline. I want to invite you to take that out. This is the third message in a series on fear called No God, No Fear. And, and today I want to take a few minutes to talk about how you know God, how you experience Him, and, and what your view of Him is. Is it a correct biblical view of God and who he is and how he's revealed himself to us? And to get at that, let me share with you this. About a year ago, I discovered uh, and realized that um, I was seeing some of you incorrectly. And it had nothing to do with uh, relationships between you and I. It had to do with my eyesight, specifically here from the pulpit. I realize I can't see up in the balcony to make sure they're not sleeping on me up there. Or I can't see down here uh, 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 in the bottom uh, area. Um, And and I realize that, you know, I need to get my eyes checked. I I had LASIK um, surgery done about 17 years ago. Have any of you had LASIK surgery done? Okay, it's an amazing surgery. It allowed me to see perfectly for, you know, those extra years. But they said when I had the surgery um, that in about 15 years, your eyesight will again begin to change, and you might not be able to see well again. And uh, so as I went back, I, I had my eyes examined. They told me, well, you can't get now your nearsighted, your nearsighted or farsightedness both corrected. So you're going to have to choose one or the other. Do you want to see far away or do you want to see near? I guess as your age goes up, they just say you, you can't even correct it with that. And so, you know, they explained to me you have one kind of eye that's dominant and you can see this way and that way. And so we, we tried a few things. And what they suggested to me was why don't you try just one contact in one eye. I said, okay, I, I'm up for it. So, so I just put one eye con, uh, uh, contact in one eye so that I could see far away with that eye, but then with the other eye that I could still see close up and read my notes. And so if you saw me doing some funky things in the fall time and looking at you strangely, that's probably why. Um, it, it wasn't the greatest experiment. I, I, I didn't like it at all. I said, there's got to be something else here. And so they said, well, you know, you can wear bifocal contacts. And so we popped some of those in, and I tried that out for a few weeks as well. And, and I, I think I finally have it kind of worked in and worked out and dialed in. Um, but, but my eyes changed gradually over probably the last two or three years, so much so that I really didn't even recognize all of a sudden the day when I couldn't see correctly. And as I've prayed over these cards of um, no God, no fear, and we gave these out to you a couple weeks ago, of what are your three biggest fears that you have, it's been interesting because as I've read through them, I realize that there are a number of people here in our worship center and in our venue that probably aren't seeing God correctly. You're not seeing God clearly. If you were, you probably would not be struggling with some of those fears. Now, I know fears come and go. I, I know, you know, we can face those temporary type of fears. But, but for some of us, you've said and indicated you've lived with a lifelong fear of certain things that if you believe God is who he says that he is, you shouldn't have to struggle with that. Maybe, perhaps, though. We have not been seeing God as he has revealed himself to us. And maybe some of our fears have come into place because we don't see God correctly. And if our view of God is incorrect, then our eyesight is going to be kind of off with what we see down here on earth. 
And so I thought, you know what, let's look at this. And so if you have your outline, it's at the top of the outline. It's in this rectangular box. And uh, Chip Ingram writes a great chapter in his book, uh, God as He Longs for You to See Him. And he brings out some of these points. And so let me summarize some of this. Three distorted views that maybe we have of God where we don't see Him correctly. First of all, I wrote down, we assume that God is just like us. That may be a view that we have of God, consciously or subconsciously. Second, we reduce God to measurable and controllable terms. We reduce him and his godness to measurable and controllable terms. And then third, we overlook the obvious and significant ways that God has revealed himself to us. We overlook the obvious and significant ways significant ways that God has revealed himself to us. And when we lose sight of God and who God really is, that's when our fears grow because our fears become greater, our fears become bigger than God himself. That's why in this series we want to know God and know God correctly, see God correctly for who he is if we're ever going to get to the place of lessening those fears in our lives. And I love what A.W. Tozer says about this along these lines. He says this, and I'll put the quote up on the screen. But he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now let me say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say, the history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And a man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea or its view of God and who he is. I mean, this is serious business. Nothing in all of your life will impact your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, your view of yourself, your decisions, your purpose, like the way you think of God. Everything in your life, consciously or subconsciously, comes back to that one thing. Whom do you visualize God to be in your heart? Who we are and what we become cannot be separated from our understanding of who God is. You take that throughout history, through every culture that has ever lived, and that is true. Let me go on. Let me give you one more quote. Tozer writes, he says, Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question Before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. Because there's this odd sort of phenomenon that we move toward our mental image of God. Whether you realize it or not, it's like a magnetic 
pull, that you move towards that mental image of God. And the way we act as believers and even as a church states clearly what we actually think of God. And so if we live in a lot of fear, we're probably saying we don't believe God is sovereign and in control of all things. In fact, if you live without a reverence for God, a holy fear of sorts, it alters everything that we do as well. That's why it is so important when you come in here to worship on on Sunday morning. Because you can have your own private kind of worship time at home, and that's all good and all, but there's just something about coming and having a corporate worship time when we celebrate God together. It is so important before and after the teaching of God's Word. And so I want to encourage you to come and to be on time when you come, and do not leave early when, you know, okay, the message is now over, and so we can leave here. You know what coming late and leaving early or leaving early really is saying? It's saying my time is more important than God's time. That's what that is saying. And so I just want to encourage you, and I know some of you are probably coming and saying, "Uh uh-oh, did he catch me coming in early today? Oh, no, was I on that list? Yeah, you probably were, right? If you're thinking of it, you probably were. But let me just say how important that is, to get here early, to have your heart prepared for that, and also to not just leave when the last prayer is done, but to wait for that time of worship at the end, because that's continually massaging of our hearts. And you can see how what happens when we flip that, and when we think, well, God, I'll fit you in right here, and this will be the time that I go here, and I've got to get on because we've got to get something else, just slow down and realize you're not that important, all right? God is, though, and our right, correct view of him, as long as we continue to place ourselves in the middle of the universe instead of God, fear will continue to permeate everything in our lives and will never become all that God has created us to be. And so what I want to do here today is I just kind of want to challenge you a little bit on your view of God and how you know him. Because when, when I went to the ophthalmologist and uh, the eye doctor kind of was inspecting me, what he did was he challenged my vision. You remember, you've probably been there as well at some point in time. They put these you know, lenses before you, and they say, do you see better with one or two? Right? Remember that kind of thing? One or two? Two or one? Well, I'm not sure. Okay, one or two. Two or one. They just keep challenging. They, okay, and then they guide you towards how you can see better and how you can see clearly of what you're supposed to see. And so, again, if you have your outline, let me challenge your spiritual eyes of how you see God. First thing I wrote down was this. God is not like us. God is not like us. Now, I did not say God does not like us, okay? I didn't say that, okay? So hear me on this. I'm saying God is not like us. When we honestly look at God, we don't see reflection of ourselves. Now, Genesis 1 talks about how we're made in his image, and and there are similarities between us and God, but God is not like us. He is not just a bigger and better version of human beings, because at our best, we only represent a hint of who he is. In fact, look at what Isaiah says about this truth. Isaiah chapter 40. It's in your outline up on the screen, or if you have your Bibles, open them up. I'd love for you to read them right there as you're you're looking on. Let me read this. So Isaiah 40 verse 25. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. That's God. He's speaking. Who are you going to compare me to? He says, lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created this? Whether it be the stars in the sky, the mountains, the oceans, whatever it may, 
who created these? He who brings out their host by number, the stars by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is what? What's the word there? Unsearchable. God is not like us. People get tired and weary. God never does. When things, there are things that we don't understand, God has never not understood a thing. He has never had a question of something that he does not understand. Think about that. We question things all the time. We don't get it. We don't understand it. That has not even been a question with God. He has never come up against something that he cannot do. Which is funny because we as humans kind of like to, to put God in this little box and put him in you know, a little predicament. And we might ask this question, I think I might have shared with you a number of months ago. You know, we asked that question, if God can do all things, can he make a rock so big that he can't lift it? Right? Remember, remember those questions that maybe we ask? And, and, we, and we say, well, well, yes, because he can do anything. But then we say, well, can he make a rock so big that he can't lift it? And so we say, well, well no. And, and so you see the predicament that we kind of put God into. And we think we're all cute in that, right, of painting him in a corner. Here's what I'd like to say. Um, yes, God can create a rock so big that he can't lift it. But then he'll go out and he'll lift it. That's what kind of God we have. Well, you say, well, he can't do that because then, then, then he can't create a rock so big. Yes, he can. He can create a rock so big that he can't lift it, but then he will lift it. That's how God is. It's just one of those that you chase that in a circle and you scratch your head and you say, well, that can't all be true. Yeah, in our little finite minds. But in his, there is no question about it. He can do any and everything. In fact, this passage out of the Old Testament is kind of echoed in the New Testament where you see Paul in uh, Romans chapter 11 say this. Romans eleven thirty three, oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. In fact, let me just focus on that for just a second. Oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable. His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Then listen to these words. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I mean, obviously with those rhetorical questions, the answer is no one. No one has known God's mind. No one has been his counselor. God owes no one. And so let's not forget the correct view of God in his awesomeness, in his otherness. We cannot even scratch the surface of what that is except when he reveals it to us. But ultimately, God is not like us. Don't be trivial about that. God is not like us. 
second point that I wrote down on the outline is this. This is the second kind of focal lens that you can test your view of God with. Left to ourselves, we reduce God to manageable terms. And maybe you have done that today. Maybe over the course of the last year or even the last decade, <coughs> excuse me, you have reduced God to your terms. In other words, we shrink him. And when we're faced with his awesomeness and his all-knowingness and all-powerfulness all, uh, and, and that he is a holy God, it can make us very uncomfortable. And so we turn the mental trash compactor on in our mind and we just kind of try and shrink God back down and put him in his box so we don't have to be boggled by all of that. And in the midst of that, we probably begin to say, you know what, I, I, God's not really seen me do this. I can do this and it would be all right. He's not going to punish me for this. It's okay. I've gotten away with it before. I'll get away with it again. Or we begin to say, you know, God, you want me to be happy, right? Of course you want me to be happy. And so we begin to rationalize and we begin to put God in a box and we listen to Satan just as Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan brings up the question to them and says, did God really say... I mean, really? Is God really going down that road with you? And we take God from here and we bring him down to here and then we bring him down to here, and we shrink him in, and then we just kind of set him aside over there and say, God, you be over there. I'll live my life. You live yours. I'll come over to you when I need you. In fact, look at Romans 1. This is not a new phenomenon. We haven't mastered this, First Baptist Stockton. They've been doing this for years. Look at Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and maybe even some creepy things as well. That's what they did. The creator now turned into the created when our little minds start going. And if you're familiar with the uh, story of Job, you'll remember that Job's friends take 37 some odd chapters in the book of Job to discuss their views of God. And they tried to answer why God would allow these bad things to happen to Job and the evil in his life. And they create this little framework and they expect God to kind of form, conform to their design. They put him kind of just right there. Say, see Job, this is why and this is why and this is why. And then in chapter 38 of the book of Job, 38 through 41, we don't have time to go into it, but you can read it on your own if you like. God shows up. And basically he says, who am I that I have to be answerable to you? I mean, really? Really? You think you know my ways? You think you know my purposes? Do I have to answer to you? Kind of reminds me of the, uh, the joke about the um, scientist who approaches God in heaven and God's sitting up in heaven, the scientist there, and say, God, you know what? We don't need you anymore. 
Science has now finally figured out the ways to create life and out of nothing. And, and in other words, we can do now what you did from the very beginning. And God says, really? Uh, tell me more about this. And so the scientist says, well, you know what? We can take dirt and we can form it now into a likeness of you. And we can breathe life into it. And we can create man. We can create out of nothing too. And God says, well, that, that, now that is interesting. Could you show me how, how you do this? And so the scientist kind of bends down to the earth and begins to take the dirt and begins to mold it. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. Get your own dirt. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, our very life, our very breath, our very existence, our very thoughts of God, and how we even conceive of God is only because he has gifted us with this mind, gifted us with, with air to breathe, gifted us with life that we even have. It begins with him. And do you know what is, is very disturbing about um, so many of our views in 2016? And I'm, I'm preaching to the church here. I'm preaching to myself and all of us right here is that once we have redefined God, then many times we reduce this Christian life down to a formula. Now, this is consciously or subconsciously. So you might say, well, I don't do that. Well, do you? I mean, think about this. We, uh, we think, um, you know, if I read my Bible in the morning, check. And then if I uh, say a few prayers, have a little prayer time, check. Then if I give some money into the offering plate, oh, not a lot, but a little bit. You know, that'll, that'll go, check. And then if I go on a mission trip to an exotic place, because more the exotic place it is, then the more I love God, right? Okay? So check. And at some point in 2016, I go on a, uh, you know, that mission trip, and at some point then I read a Christian self-help book, check. Then God will need to do his part and come through and life will be great. I've now done my part, so now God, you are obligated to do your part. And your part includes that I will have a happy marriage, have happy relationships, that my kids will turn out fine, I will never get depressed, I will never get sad, and uh, God, keep anything bad from happening to me. Right? And we go through that, consciously or subconsciously, God, didn't I just say that? Didn't I do this? Didn't I do this? I have had counseling sessions where I have stopped the counseling session right in the middle of our conversation and say, uh, I'm sorry, but you are politely narcissistic. They'll say, what? <laughs> Would you just call me, Pastor Brad? I'll say, yeah, you're narcissistic. You're thinking about just yourself. And you're trying to put some characteristics on God that God has never intended to be put upon him. And you're saying, as long as you think you can do this and this and this and this, that nothing bad in this world should happen to you as you view it. That is narcissistic. And I'll call it out for what it is. Church, we may be there as well. We, us, in the way we think and believe. And so let me reteach you one of the most profound spiritual truths that I think I've shared since being here, uh, your senior pastor, and that is this. God, not. Right? We've talked about this, but we forget this. So get your little pointer fingers out there if you could, all right? Okay, you ready? You ready? God, not. Now, not all of you believe that yet, so try it with me again, all right? Okay? Ready? Seeing it. Here we go. God, not. 
Real easy to go, God, huh? Not. And we get that mixed up, and we don't see clearly. And then life just falls apart. And so if you've been missing that one, in fact, I would even say, and this may be a whole other message, that there are some biblical promises that you guys are trying to live out that are not in the Bible. And when you see God incorrectly, and when you try and understand him incorrectly, and you're trying to live, but doesn't it say, and you believe something that's not in Scripture, that's when things are going to fall apart. That's when fear can invade, because you think, well, isn't God here for me because he said he was going to do this, so maybe I'm not a Christian because he's not doing this. Well, what do you believe that he's going to do? That's where it begins. And we cannot have a salad bar kind of religion where we take a little bit, because many people in today's age, the millennials are growing up in this, and younger folks are growing up in this. They grow up in, well, I like a little bit of the Hinduism. I like a little bit of the, uh, the Muslim faith. I like a little bit of the Buddhist faith. I like a little bit of the Christian faith. And I'll just kind of mix this all in. And, and at the end, I'll have a nice little salad plate here. I like what the Bible says about heaven. I don't like what it says about hell. And so let's just kind of create my own religion. And that is what goes on today. And that is a scary place to be. Where we have to plan ourselves is that God has given us his word in this way to teach us what he is like. In fact, let me go on to the last point because I think it will help us see this as well. Our third lens comes about with this question. God can only be known as he reveals himself to us. That's a statement. God can only be known as he reveals himself to us. And let me go through this pretty quickly, but I I want you to just get this and catch this. One of the ways that God does that is through nature. Scripture talks about that. Psalm 19, 1 through 3, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies have promised, uh, proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And perhaps if you feel like you have not been viewing God correctly, then I give you permission. Schedule some time. Go up into the foothills. Go up into the mountains, to the Sierras. Go to the delta. Sit on the shore. Go out to the coast and just sit there. And and take about 30 minutes to sit on the ocean or out in nature somewhere without any problems, without trying to solve anything, and just be in God's presence and let him speak to you. And then go to a playground, maybe even here in Stockton, and just sit and listen to the little children as they laugh and as they play. And see if he did not create us to have more joy than maybe we are living with. Because we've just kind of pushed them out. And we don't see where God is trying to reveal himself to us. Let me give you another specific way that God reveals himself, and that's through his word. Through his word. John chapter 1 talks about in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made that has been made. In him is life, and the life was like the light of men. 
the word that God has given to us. Now, and here it specifically is addressing who that is through his son, which is where I want to get to the last point. But God speaks through his word in this way, but he also speaks through the word that became one of us, and that is the last point I wrote on the outline, that God speaks through his son. He reveals himself through his son, and that's the primary way that he has done that. John 1, 14, that passage goes on to say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as the one, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and, what's the word there? Grace and truth. Jesus Christ, the exact representation of God himself. And even in the book of Luke, after Jesus dies and is resurrected, he goes with a couple on the road to Emmaus, and he begins to explain in the word, here, look what happened, look what happened, look what happened, look what happened. And it all begins to point, 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 point to Jesus. That is why he is the primary one that we have here in life, that we worship and praise. It's a part of our mission statement, helping people take their next step and knowing Jesus and making him known. It all points to Jesus. And so if you enter into this new year, say, man, how can I know God more? We want to encourage you to know Jesus through a sense of worship in here, to grow in Jesus by getting involved in some sort of a community group or a Bible study or a Wednesday night elective or a Sunday school class, some way, BSF, whatever it may be, to grow in your faith in that way, to begin to serve through the name of Jesus in some way in his name and then begin to share in him. And at the end of the year, when you look back, That focus, if it has been on Jesus, that will radically change who you are. That will radically change your fears. That will radically change knowing God in the way that he has chosen for you to know him. That's what we are pointing you to. That's why we want you to know God and how to know God. Next week, I'm going to get a little further into answering specific questions about some of the fears that... um, we go through. But one that has been pretty unique and seen as I've read through the cards and prayed through them is this fear that many of us have in here of not knowing if we will go to heaven when we die. It, 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 it came through over and over and over and over again. And, and you know, I thought, you know what, I just want to make sure I end this message here of knowing God and, and knowing Him and seeing Him correctly was seeing how God has spoken that truth into our lives. And so I know many of you across this auditorium, you know that maybe you don't struggle with that, but there's a number of people who do. Maybe you're even here for the very first time. I want to get to explain to you what it means to know Christ in a personal way and to know when you accept him that you will be in heaven one day when you pass on. So why don't we just end this time with a word of prayer and be praying for your people on your left and your right because I think God's going to do some miracles right here, right now with opening up people's hearts spiritually. Father God, I... I thank you for a time that we have been in your word where we have been taught about you and who you are. My prayer right now is that every block of being able to see you clearly would fall by the wayside. Lord, that Satan would have no power in this place. Every spiritual bondage would be loosened and freed. Our eyesights would be able to focus upon you. And Lord, mainly, namely, number one, that we would know how to know you. That we would be in relationship with you as you have revealed it to us. And that is through your son, Jesus Christ. So folks, if you're struggling with this issue, where am I going to go after I die? How, How do I know God more? Here's how you begin this process. God's word says that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die for you.
to make a way into relationship with God the Father. And the scripture says if you believe that in your hearts and you confess that in your mouth with your mouth, if you tell someone, yes, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be saved. And so we're going to take care of that right now. Today, if you've never prayed to receive Christ into your life, or perhaps you've, you've doubted if you've done that, would you just in your heart say these words, Lord Jesus, today I ask you to come into my life. Lord Jesus, today I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Lord Jesus, today I choose to follow you, to repent of my ways, and to follow you now as my Lord and Savior. And Scripture says that you don't have to say those exact words, but if you mean that, if you truly mean that that and understand that, that you don't have to worry about where you're going to be, that you will one day be in heaven with Him just by that belief and that faith in Him. So I pray that as you leave this place that you would share that with maybe the friend who brought you or come and share that with me or Pastor Stephen or some other pastors that we have up here. Or even at our Next Step Center, we have some information we'd love to give to you. But to take that step of saying, I made that decision. And then even next week, to be baptized, to go through and understand what that means. God, I thank you for a faith that has opened up for many across this auditorium. I thank you that they have made that decision as you you have seen them. And now they can also sing that song, I am a child of God. I don't have to fear, but I'm a child of God. God, I thank you for others who have made that decision years and years and years ago. Um, Lord, may we live out that decision in a greater way even today as we see you clearly, as we see your incredible love for us. We see and understand about a judgment that one day will come upon us if we don't have Christ as Lord and Savior. But Lord, may we view you until you come back for us or until we pass on. Lord, may we view you correctly. And love you as you love us. For it's through Jesus that we pray. It's through Jesus that we battle no fears. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.